You are listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. For more information on RSN, visit us online at therenovation.church. Week two of our series, More Than a Song. Super excited to be talking a little bit more about worship um, for you. I was encouraged by Michael's message last week. I was challenged by it, challenged of, to live my life in a way that is holy and acceptable to God. Um, and, and running everything through that lens of every decision I make, um, big or small, will this be holy and acceptable to God? So I want you all to know I was super challenged and encouraged by Michael's message. I'm super pumped for him to be at Beach Camp. And can we hear it one more time from Michael? There we go, there we go. So tonight we're gonna continue talking about worship and tonight we're gonna talk about the power of worship and we're gonna look at a really cool story in the Old Testament of a king named Jehoshaphat. Weird name, I know, but he's a cool dude. Um, So we're gonna talk about that tonight. And so one thing Michael kind of hit on last week that I wanna reemphasize is that worship is not just singing. Um, Worship is not just this window that we have on Wednesdays and Sundays to sing a few songs, maybe three, maybe four on a crazy day. Um, that it's not just singing, but worship can also be the way that we love each other. It can be the way that we are united. It can be the way that we are walk in obedience to all that God has said in his word and the way that we obey him and things he's called us to do. So, and even prayer can be a form of worship. So worship is not just singing, it's prayer, it's worship, it's obedience, all that's singing. Got it? Got it? Awesome, that'll be important for us going forward. And I wanna start with a definition of worship that I love and that has really helped me understand all of this in, in kind of a couple sentences. So it's from Louis Giglio, he's a pastor in a, at a church in Atlanta, and he says, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, corporate meaning together, so what we do here, um, anytime we're gathered together as believers, that's corporate. So worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. So in this quote, we see kind of what we just talked about, that worship, yes, is in what we say, so it's also in what we sing. Worship is also in the way that we live. Um, So that's kind of a framework for us to look at as we look at this story, as we walk through um, what we can learn about worship um, through this story. But first, I wanna explain a little bit to you guys why I'm passionate about worship. Obviously, worship is a big part of my job here at the church. I'm the worship pastor here in Simpsonville, Um, but before music and worship was part of my job. The Lord put a deep passion in my heart for worship. Um, And it started for me, honestly, when I was your age, middle school, high school, um, I was, that was the time period where I learned the value of worship. Um, I had incredible times of worship with with my own youth group. Um, I have groups of friends that we would just get together and be able to worship together. And through that time, through worship, I was able to experience and understand how powerful the presence of God is, how personal God is, and how incredible it is that we get to worship together. That not only can we worship on our own, but we get to do this as believers together, um, not just Sundays and Wednesdays, even though that's an incredible honor that we get to do that. But we get to do life with other believers, we get to worship together. So learned that when I was in middle school and high school, and then in college, um, my freshman year, I went to Clemson, and I expected to get there and make friends instantly. That didn't happen. It doesn't always happen for everybody. Some people, they make friends really quick. It didn't for me. And for me, that was an extremely lonely time in my life, but I am incredibly thankful for that time. Because it was in that time that worship became very personal to me. It was no longer just the thing we do together, but it was also the thing that, hey, I can, I can seek the Lord on my own. Like I can sit still and be just silent before the Lord, listen for his voice, or just remind myself of who he is. 
And so I had times in my dorm rooms where I would get out my guitar or just listen to music and worship on my own. And for me, it was those moments of worship that helped me realize how personal God is and how I can pursue him on my own. So middle and high school, kind of learned the value of worship as a group and with other believers corporately. Um, college was where I learned personal worship. There was also moments of worship where I felt called to ministry, where I felt like God was telling me, hey, you need to do this full time and complete your whole life um, to doing this. And so for me, moments of worship have been incredibly powerful for me and, and really have honestly shaped my life. So now that we have that established, we're gonna talk about the power of worship tonight. But before we do, before we dive into this passage, I wanna pray real quick and then we'll, uh, we'll jump right in. Father, thank you for tonight. Um, thank you for RSM. Thank you for these students and all that you were doing um, in our lives um, and all the ways that we get to see you move and work. Uh, so Father, I pray that tonight um, you would speak through me, it would be all your words, um, that, that I would be challenged by your scripture, that we would all in this room walk away with action steps of what it looks like to worship you and what our posture can be, what our attitude can be as we seek you in everything we do. We love you, Lord. Amen. Awesome. So let's turn to Second Chronicles 20 verses one through 30, which I know it's, it's kind of a big chunk, but don't worry, we're gonna take it a couple verses at a time, so we're not reading all at one time. Um, so, as you're flipping there, a little bit of background. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. Uh, Judah and Israel were one kingdom, and then they split into two, long story short, that's, that's condensed. Um, but he's the king of Judah, and they've had a variety of kings. Some have seeked righteousness and tried to do things God's way, others have not. Uh, Jehoshaphat is trying to do things God's way, and he's made a lot of changes to try to get there, and so that's kind of where we pick up right here. So we're gonna start uh, with verses one through four. It says, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Midianites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So, Jehoshaphat gets word that three other nations are coming to attack his one nation. Simple math, he's way outnumbered. But one thing that I noticed in this was that Jehoshaphat, he was alarmed, he was worried. And so one thing I noticed with that is that when we encounter hard times, I think a lot of times we hear about like having faith and being confident that God is gonna move, and absolutely, but we also need to recognize that he was worried for a second. But what matters most is his response to that. He recognized the issue, and then his next response was to seek the Lord and instruct his entire nation to seek the Lord. So that was his first response, which leads to our first point, is that worship should be our first response. So in this example in scripture, obviously it's a bad situation. There's three nations about to come attack him. He's probably scared. He seeks the Lord for help. But I think sometimes it's also hard for us to seek the Lord as our first response in good times. So moment of honesty here. Who has ever prayed to do well on a test? Now, put your hand down if you did not study for that test. Hmm. Okay, so in this example, we studied really hard, we put our best effort in, and we prayed to do well on a test. Been there, done that, and let's say you do really well on this test. Like, maybe not 100, because let's, let's be real here. 
let's say like 97, a solid, solid high A. Like we're, we're happy with that, right? So let's say we prayed for this, we studied for this, and then after we get that grade, we go, I crushed that. I'm a, I'm a genius. I'm literally the smartest person in my school. And then we completely neglect that we prayed for this. Now, the Lord's hand may or may not have been in you getting a good grade on the test. But I think a lot of times we pray, and it could be something like a test, it could be something bigger, and something that we've prayed for happens, and we completely neglect to thank the Lord for it. I know I have been there more times than I care to count, is that I've prayed for something, the Lord has answered that, he's delivered that, and I'm like, oh, cool, that's great, and then go about my life, instead of stopping to praise and worship him for all that he's done. Um, so in this example, it's a bad situation, but I think it's also relevant for good situations as well. So let's keep reading in verse five. We're gonna go through verse 12 this time. It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, so this, this is his prayer to the Lord. This is him seeking the Lord. It says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all nations, all kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love this prayer. And I think there's several things we can pull out from it. And so first, in verse six, Right at the beginning of this prayer, we see Jehoshaphat recognize God's power. He says things like, you are the God of heaven. You have power and might in your hand. No one can withstand you. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. So we see God is in control. So for Jehoshaphat, he is shifting his perspective from the three nations that are coming to wage war against him to try to wipe them out onto who God is. And then in verses seven through nine, he recalled God's faithfulness in the past. He brings up Abraham, which we know in the Old Testament, we see God's faithfulness to Moses, to Abraham, to all the Israelites. In the midst of all their unfaithfulness, God remains faithful. And so he's recalling that. He's remembering how God has been faithful in that. So another perspective shift from the problem onto God's promises. And in verse 12, there's an incredibly powerful statement um, that I want us to really pay attention to. It says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. He recognized that they have no power to face this vast army. They, they're not fitted for this. Not, not many nations would be able to go against three other nations and win. So he recognized that he can't do it in his own power, that he needs the Lord. So he shifted his, his perspective from the problem onto God's power, onto his promises, and onto who God is, and trusting that God is going to make a way for this. So that leads to the next point, that remembering his word leads us to worship. Jehoshaphat reminded himself of how God had been faithful to his ancestors, to himself, all the promises that God had made, both in scripture in the past, but also to their nation personally. So 
That's the next thing is remembering his word leads us to worship. So that's why it's so important. That's why we encourage you guys all the time to be in your Bible, to be studying scripture, memorize scripture. That's one thing I'm trying to do better of this year is to memorize scripture because we're able in these times to do what Jehoshaphat did and remind ourselves of all these things that God has done, how faithful he is in all of his promises. We're gonna talk about that more in a second as well. But let's keep reading verses 13 through 19. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah. That's a lot of weird names. A Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So let's pause for just a second. There's a lot of really cool stuff going on here. So they just sought the Lord, and then this man, Jehaziel, if that's even how you say his name, we're gonna go with it, gets this word from the Lord. He gets a prophecy from the Lord. Basically says, this battle doesn't even belong to you. Yes, they're waging war against you, but this battle is actually God's, and you're not gonna have to fight at all. So just take your positions and be ready for it. Which, if you were in that situation, I think we'd all still be terrified, because so I'm just gonna stand there? So I was thinking through this, and I'm a little bit of a nerd, so one of the examples that came to me was, who's seen Avengers Endgame? Most of us in here. So y'all know the scene when Thanos just like knocked everybody out. Like Thor's like unconscious somewhere. Iron Man suit's like in shambles. Like it's just every piece is everywhere. And it's just Captain America. And it's like this epic scene where he's like ready to take on Thanos' entire army by himself. Now he's got like a cut in his arm, his shield's broken, all this stuff. Imagine I walk, I, I walk up in that battle and like, hey, hey Cap quick thing for you. What if you just stand there? Like, what if you just do nothing? Actually, I'm gonna promise you that if you just stand there and do nothing, all of, like, they're all just gonna get wiped out. There's, like, little creature things that are trying to, like, claw your face off. Yeah, they're just gonna, they're just gonna die. I think the enemy in Captain America's mind would go from being Thanos to me. I think he would just wipe me out and be like, you're, you literally have no idea what you're talking about. So, that's basically what these people just heard. But let's see what their response was in verse 18 and 19. It says, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Had they won the battle yet? Had they? No. But they had this confidence, led by Jehoshaphat, who led his entire nation to this point, to have a confidence in what God has said, Right? They said, hey, this man heard from God, and God said this is gonna happen, and they trusted that. Um, verse 18, that Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. That's a verse that, I've, I've read this story several times, and I honestly hadn't noticed that until I was getting ready for tonight, and I noticed that verse, and at least the next point, that our worship has power because of our promised victory. So all of Judah and Jerusalem worshiped. They weren't delivered yet, but they trusted in who God was. 
Their worship rose from a trust in God and what he does and what he says and who he is. Um, so obviously we are not all about to walk outside to three nations about to attack us. But we do have other battles. We are in a spiritual battle. We've talked about that for months, about the spiritual battle that we are in. And we don't have a promise from Jehaziel that we're gonna have to stand there and nothing's gonna happen and we're just gonna win. But we do have several other promises of God. And, and there's thousands, literally thousands of promises in scripture that God gives to man. Some of them are specific to certain people in scripture, but a lot of them are relevant to all of us. Um, so I put together a list of just a few of these that we're just gonna briefly go over. The references are in your bulletin, so you can look these up later. Um, but here's just a small list for us to look at of what God has promised us. And, and the idea is for these promises to be where our worship can come from. That when we face different circumstances, we can look back on these promises, we can remember these promises, and that could be the source of our worship. So first, nothing can separate us from God's love. It comes from Romans 8, 38 through 39. He will never leave us nor forsake us. It comes from Deuteronomy 31, 8. He makes our steps firm. He orders our steps. Uh, Psalms 37, 23. He gives us rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29. He works all things together for the good, for our good when we abide in him. It's Romans 8, 28. He gives us wisdom when we ask. James 1, 5. When we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. 1 John 1, 9. When we call on his name and confess that he is Lord, we are saved. Romans 10, 9 through 10. One day Jesus will return and we'll be raised with him in eternity. And that's in Philippians 3, 20 through 21 and also 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. So I encourage you, go back and read those. I encourage you to do some research. Google promises of God. You're gonna find an endless list of all the promises God makes to us that we can find rest in in good and bad circumstances and that can lead us to worship. So let's keep reading. We're getting towards the end of the passage, um, starting in verse 20. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah, and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Let's pause for a second. Can we talk about the amount of trust that Jehoshaphat has and what, what God has said? So I don't know, I don't know what worship leaders were like um, in this time. Uh, they, they may have been the strongest warriors, know how to fight super well, but if they're anything like worship leaders today, I'm just saying, if we took all the worship leaders in South Carolina and we said, hey, there's three nations coming to fight. We're gonna put you at the front and uh, y'all are gonna go fight that, that army. I'm not gonna lie, we're gonna get smacked and it's gonna not be pretty and we're gonna lose very bad. So maybe they were better warriors at that time. I'm, I'm gonna guess not, but maybe they were. But we see Joseph had a trust in the Lord and he wanted worship to be what led the way. Is that we believe so deeply that God is gonna do what he said he would do. That we're just gonna worship at the beginning. So we see that his first response when he first even heard about the battle was worship. And then when the battle is actually there, he's like, you know, we're gonna, that's what we're gonna lead with. We're gonna lead with worship. And I think we can learn from that in every situation. Whether we're walking into an unknown, maybe life is very confusing and you don't know what's happening next. Worship. Maybe life is great. 
worship. Maybe life is terrible. Let's worship. And so we see that example in Jehoshaphat. In every step of this process, he wanted worship to be what led. And he, and he worshiped because of the promised victory, like we talked about. Um, so let's keep reading that. Verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they had found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Berica, where they praised the Lord. That is why it's called the Valley of Berica to this day. So they led with worship, and they saw God come through, right? And so like I said, we're not about to be in a battle with three nations. We didn't have that promise from the Lord. But we have all those other promises that we get to look to. And the best of all is, I'm, I'm gonna go back to it, is that when we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. That when we call on his name and confess that he is Lord, we are saved. That we are once dead in our sin, but Christ died for us. And so through that, through the power of the cross and through the power of the resurrection of Jesus, we already have victory. So we have this promised victory and how we have this victory over Satan, over the enemy, that we get to rest in. This story takes place in the Old Testament. Um, so this is before Jesus. They had prophecies about the Messiah. They had prophecies about what Jesus may be like. Um, but they, didn't, they don't have the perspective that we have on this side of the story, knowing that Jesus walked a perfect life, that he died for our sins and he rose again so that we could be reunited with the Father, that we could be seen as righteous in the eyes of God. So back then, not everybody could go into the presence of God. We know that God's presence is with us at all times. He'll never leave us or forsake us. That through the Holy Spirit, we get to walk in God's presence daily. And so when we're here on Sunday mornings or in Greenville on Sunday mornings or here on Wednesday nights, we get to be in God's presence together. And back then, they didn't always have that privilege. Only the high priest could go into the presence of God. And even then, if he didn't do all the sacrifices right, he could literally be struck dead and they'd have to pull him out with a rope. So pretty intense, pretty terrifying, but... Because of what Jesus has done, we can now boldly enter into his presence. And we see that in Hebrews 10. Let's read that uh, together. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So not only do we have victory in Jesus, we get to worship from this place of victory because we know that the battle has already been, side note, I'd, we did not mean for the songs to line up with tonight as well as it did, but it was really cool how God was just faithful to do that. Um, but we get to worship from a place of knowing the battle's already won and then in the end, Satan will be defeated. He's already been defeated. And all he can do now is distract us. And so instead of being distracted, we're gonna look to the Lord, his faithfulness, what he has done and worship him for it. So let's finish out this passage, verses 27 through 30. 
It says, then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. So, last point. Worship doesn't stop after the victory. After the victory, they returned home and they went right into the temple and just kept worshiping. They've been worshiping for like days now because the beginning they worshiped, in the middle they worshiped, on the way home they worshiped, when they got home they worshiped. And it's so cool that we have this chance every single day to do the same thing. That we know the promises of God that we see in scripture, the ones on that list I gave you, but also more. We know that we have been given righteousness through faith in Jesus, through his death on the cross. And that we have victory over sin, death, and shame through the cross and through the resurrection. So we get a chance every single day to wake up and choose to worship, to remind ourselves of the gospel, that we are dead in our sin, but now we're alive in Christ. And I saw, I saw a quote about worship and about this in particular. Um, it says, nothing tells Satan and his followers that they have lost, like the praises of God ringing in their ears. So when we get to worship, we get to remind ourselves, but we're also reminded of the enemy, hey, you've already lost. And so we, he may try to distract us, to discourage us, to tell us that we don't have a purpose, but we know that he's already been defeated and we're gonna worship in the midst of temptation, worship in the midst of discouragement, because we know who God is. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, says that through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So this is instructing us to continually offer this sacrifice of praise to God. And we see at the end there, just like we talked about last week, talked about a little bit this week, is that it's not just singing. It says to do good and share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. In those things, that's an act of worship. The way that we pray is an act of worship. So in all this, I don't mean that you need to be walking through your school singing all day long. If you want to, that's awesome, do it. People are gonna ask you questions and it's an opportunity to tell them about the gospel, right? But in all things, we can be prayerful. In all things, we can seek the Lord. In all things, we can love the people around us even if we don't agree with them. In all things, we can walk in obedience to what this word says and instructs us to live. Because all of that is worship. So as we go throughout our weeks and every single day, Let's allow worship to be our first response. Remember the promises of God. Remember what's in his word. Study his word. Trust it. Remember that there is power in our worship because of the cross. Let's live a life of worship because we have victory in Jesus. So before we dismiss to small groups, we're gonna do something similar to what we did last week. Um, a time just to reflect on who God is, what he's done. And, and there's kind of two things, two kinds of people I want us to, to kind of be challenged by. Uh, maybe for you, you have not you're hearing me talk about the gospel, hearing me talk about what Jesus has done, you're like, I don't even know what that means, or maybe you have heard what that means, and you wanna give your life to Christ for the first time. In this time, your leaders are gonna be available. If you don't know who your small group leader is, just find any RSM leader in the room. They'd be glad to talk to you through that. They'll talk you through, what is the gospel? What does this mean for us? What does it mean for me to surrender my life to Christ? Or maybe you've heard us talk about this a lot, and you're like, no, I'm, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to surrender everything at the foot of the cross. Recognize that I'm a sinner in need of saving and that Jesus lived a perfect life 
died the death that I deserved and rose again so that I could be free, that I'd be made alive in Christ. So maybe that's you tonight. Uh, Maybe you're someone who grew up in the church, you've heard the gospel a lot, maybe you've given your life to Christ, um, but you've grown complacent, you've grown used to the gospel, that it's just another thing we hear about on Wednesdays or Sundays. And, and honestly, for me, that, that's a place that I've gotten a lot and it's a place I've had to deal with recently where I've grown used to the power of the gospel and the power of the cross. And that there's a prayer in the Psalms and it's actually a, a repentant, this whole Psalm is, is David repenting for sins that he has committed. Um, and there's a verse in there that David prays, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. That a lot of times, that's the beginning of our repentance is recognizing that I need to fix my eyes on the cross, be overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus died for me. While I was, I, I, it's not when I got my act together, it was while I was still sinning, Christ died for me. And so I know for me, it's very easy for me to get used to that. I hear about it a lot, I talk about it a lot, but I don't wanna grow used to that. I wanna always be overwhelmed by the power of the cross. So maybe tonight, that's something you need to reflect on. You need to pray about, Lord, have I become used to this? Have I allowed the gospel to come boring to me? Have I abused your grace? Have I, have I lived in a way that's like, oh, God's gonna forgive me, I'm gonna live however I want, I'll straighten up my life in college, or I'll straighten up my life in high school. And we're abusing God's grace. So, whether you're any of those two people, I want us to take some time to just sit and reflect, pray, ask the Lord to speak to you, reveal to you what you need to do, what your action step is. And like I said, uh, our assembly leaders are available um, for prayer to talk you through um, anything. But let's just take a few minutes um, and then I'll pray us out in light of this Thanks for listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.